Hey guys, just wanted to hop on real quick and give you a heads up. We had a really awesome conversation with Nick, but uh, we do mention a little bit of colorful language and there is talk about drug use. So if this is an episode um, that you don't want your kids to hear that, maybe use some headphones or find a time where your kids aren't around. Hope you enjoy. Hey, ho, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh. Let's go, Jordan High School Podcast. It is really awesome. We love all of our guests. Listen up. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Jordan High 2004 Podcast. This is Steve. And this is Gonzo. Gonzo, how you doing? I'm doing good, Steve. Yeah? Um, ah, It's been kind of a hard weekend. I, I just found out my grandma died. And I mean... She's 90, or she was 90, so it's not like, I, I guess it's different when like an old person dies. It, it's more of like, uh, I've been feeling kind of, just the regrets of, I don't know, like, not talking to her for like 26 years, really. Because this is the grandma that lives in Uruguay. Yeah, both, so I have two living, or one living grandparent anymore, but it was two, both of my uh, grandmothers were alive. And um, they both live in Uruguay, yeah. Well, just the one now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I just haven't really done a good job at keeping in touch with the people in Uruguay, family in Uruguay. So um, I don't know. It's just like I, we didn't have – I have a closer relationship with my other grandmother. I didn't really have um, – I didn't really know her, you know. And it's just thinking about that, thinking about not – not knowing her, but I don't know, it's, it's felt weird. So where do you, like, first of all, I'm sorry, like, sorry your grandma died. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, thank you. Where do your thoughts go when you're thinking about that? Or you're like, I haven't been close with these people that are kind of far away, like, where do your thoughts go when you think about that? That I, I could make, like, a better effort, you know, it's just like, it'd be easy to, you know, call try to call someone once a month, you know, so, I'm, I don't know, I'm just gonna yeah, try to do better, try to contact people because yeah they could just you don't know when they're going to be gone yeah because they both like she's always just been there your whole entire life until just like and now she's not yeah she's always yeah exactly she's been there you know just who knows i mean she doesn't know me i don't know her but we could have we could have we're family we could have known each other it's interesting that you bring that up because i've had these thoughts about my dad where it's like i don't talk to him very much but he just does his thing and He's around. Well, he's in Washington, but like, yeah. I'm not close with him, and there's no reason not to be. Yeah, there's no like. I mean, there's nothing stopping. Yeah, but I'm saying there's no like big hatchet that needs to be buried. Like, there's no beef to hash out, right? It's right. just like, kind of, he's far away. He's doing his thing. You're doing your thing, and mm-hmm. you just don't talk. Yeah, but to have that change, I wonder how that would feel. Like, it would just change all of a sudden. So interesting that you bring that up. It's just making me think about that, which I haven't thought much about. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just been, it's been kind of like a a weird last couple of days for me. Like, I don't know. But besides that, things are doing good. good. Yeah. I mean, all he did re- rip up a whole bunch of paint off the wall in the basement. Mm-hmm. It's just like... <laughs> You're just like a ton, a lot more than you think. You're just thinking like, oh, he must have ripped up a little bit, but no, he ripped out a ton of paint off. Like he just, 
was poking at it or something scratched off and then just started pulling and ripping paint off. Yeah. Uh, you should post a picture of it. <laughs> I don't think people can understand how much paint got ripped off. I'll post the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, shoot. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I got, I don't know, just in the middle of just life right now and just, but I think pretty good. Not, not too many highs, not too many lows, just kind of day-to-day stuff. It's been nice having the, nice having the weekend free. Kids didn't have school Friday, they don't have school tomorrow, so get to hang out with them and I don't really know what we'll do. But it's just nice to, I took all the days off my kids are out of school, so we just hang out and like today we played a ton of go fish. That's fun. Because the Happy Meals right now, they're giving away, uh. Mickey Mouse stuff. Cards, so yeah. Go Mickey. So we play, <laughs> kick my kid's butt so bad. It's just like no mercy. <laughs> the best. But so yeah. I'll probably play a bunch of Go Fish tomorrow. <laughs> That's awesome. So who are we talking to today? So today we have Nick Whitaker. And we're going to do something a little special for with Nick's episode. Yes. Like we talked for a really long time. And like I don't want to cut like... There's a lot of really good stuff, so I don't want to just cut a whole bunch of stuff so we have, like, an episode that fits. So I was thinking two episodes. I think two episodes would be great because it's almost like a, I, I think what he talked about, he talked a lot about homelessness and and his experiences uh, working with the homeless community, and it was a really awesome conversation. And then there's the whole separate part of the usual questions we ask, and so we thought it would be a great idea to just... Kind of split it up and give two really good episodes. Yeah. So here's our conversation with Nick. Nicholas Whitaker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for bringing me here. And thanks for coming over. Yeah. For driving over. I, I, yeah, I, I can't stand. I mean, I have to do so many online meetings for work. And everybody has. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. Any chance I can get to like meet with people in person is a nice it's a it's a treat it's a treat guys it's a treat yeah and it's good to see you it's been it's a good, long yeah. time yeah it's, in person is it's the way to go <laughs> yeah it, it is it's nice i haven't seen you guys from, i may have been like graduation day maybe i no, no, i can't no. i can't remember the last time i saw you you never have seen me before steve Oh, man, uh, yeah. I'm not real. No, I'm, I'm going to see you today. <laughs> like, like an avatar. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, I see you. I think I maybe seen. some I like seen. assembly. You're playing, like maybe you and Maya were playing instruments or something on it. <laughs> yeah, we used to do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, playing music. We played all kinds of music. And uh, I think like when we stopped playing crazy i think we were doing we'd always play you know like crazy hardcore music or whatever it was just for shock value and just to be silly and uh but i remember we played i think we played a pop dylan song once and that was a lot of fun i don't know where i'm going with that but it was a lot of fun well thanks for having me yes <laughs> bye <laughs> catch, us up, catch us up a little bit what's your life been like the last 20 years oh my, wow 20 years that's crazy hang on tight and get comfortable it's gonna be a few days 
So I'm going to give you the details. All right. We like um, the details. Yeah. July 2004. Start there. Well, it began by me opening my journal, and I wrote down my thoughts for the day. Then I went out and got the paper. From there, I made a nice bowl of breakfast. I call it a bowl of breakfast. I just put everything into a bowl. No. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, give me more. I just put it in a bowl. I call it, I, it's just a mush. It's a gray mush and I eat it. Um, and that has been 20 years of my life until I came out here today. No, um, so I, I, I graduated high school, just kind of messed around for a year. Um, I went on a Mormon mission to Texas. And I think during my mission, I kind of realized like, I'm not a religious person. <laughs> but you know, I still had a great time. I had a great time, and like I met, I met a couple other folks on my mission that were kind of the same way, and uh, we're still good friends today. And you learn, you know, that maybe that's that's not my my cup of tea, or uh, my cup of diet coke, or whatever. <laughs> um, but that's yeah. And I came back and I uh, started hanging out. <laughs> Uh, met people. I just never hung out before there and just uh, started hanging out after I got back from the mission. You know, um, I, I, I went to school. I did my undergraduate degree in, um, in sociology and gender and ethnic diversity um, up at the University of Utah. And during that time, I got engaged. And then that, that ended because I found out the person I was engaged to was cheating on me. Thanks. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was a crazy time. That's usually a deal breaker. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. I was like, hmm. I hope I had to look in the rule book. I'm like, yep. <laughs> in the procedure manual, <laughs> you can't do this. <laughs> um, but you know what? That was like probably one of the greatest things to happen because that, that person, you know, they were not the best person for me. And, uh, and you know, I... I, I I, I'll always be grateful because um, uh, it was it was kind of a situation where like they were kind of well not kind of they were very emotionally abusive and uh, and when you're in in, a, in an abusive relationship you don't know that you're that you're in an abusive relationship and so you're scared to to talk about it because you're in a lot of situations in mind I, I felt like I was like it was my fault that that thing that that happened. It was my fault that these things, these bad things, were happening in that relationship, but they weren't, and I honestly did not know that until I finally like got enough courage to call my my, my friend Maya Mabe. You know, you all know Maya. He's like the best person ever, and I, and I remember, and you can beep this because I just have to say how it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he told me. It was like life changing, and it was so simple. He told me. I, so I told him what was happening, and I was, I was in my mind, I was prepared to just, because I seriously, I'd been so like, gaslighted and so in a situation where I was controlled so much that I thought he was going to tell me like, this is your fault, like what, like this, you messed up, this is but your fault. You're making her cheat on you, right, right, for all your stupid things that you're doing. Well, and it, it sounds weird, but like when you're when you're in that state. You know where someone is is controlling you in that way uh, and and really manipulating reality. You 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 take the blame for everything in your mind. And but I remember I told Maya what was going on because like I the proof was in front of me, but I was telling myself I shouldn't believe it, but I couldn't let that go. So I told Maya, 
And all he said, there's like a pause on the phone, and he just said, fuck that. And when he said that, I was just like, oh, would you believe me? Like, you, like it's so weird that you'd think like someone's not going to believe you like, like, like in that situation. But like he believed me and like that changed everything and uh, gave me like just I felt so empowered after that um, that I just called it off. And I said, I don't want anything to do with you. And I went on with my life. And so you were engaged. Mm hmm. How close, like, to the wedding was this? Was it like a lot of planning had been done, or was it like early on in the engagement? We'd, we'd been well, and that was part of the thing too. In, in kind of, she, she kept changing the dates, and um, we, I'd say we were probably less than a year away. Mm-hmm. It was it was an interesting. I don't want to say interesting. It was a bad time. I don't know. It things just got so much better after that. And I don't know if anyone's ever in that situation or if they're in a situation now where they feel like maybe the person they're with is, is gaslighting them or controlling them. Like, talk to somebody. You will not regret it. Like, talk to Maya. Talk, yeah, call Maya. No, I'd recommend that. He's a good, good, he's a good yes. man. But no, talk to a friend. Like, like you're, you're not alone. It's not like there's people there that will help you. Like, people love you. Anyway, yeah. so there was that. And then I was, at that time, I was also, I was doing the, uh, working at the radio station, but my, like, things just weren't, weren't going well in my life, just emotionally. And that, I, I pointed to my head when I said emotionally, <laughs> instead of my heart, emotionally. Um, but I said my, I pointed my head because in my head, my brain was falling apart because of the emotions I was feeling. And uh, anyway, a friend of mine reached out and asked if I wanted to, to work with, so, so well, in between all that, in, um, I, I'd, I'd been doing a lot of music in the community with my band Birthquake, which is my two brothers and myself, and that's why we called it Birthquake, because it was a family band. And um, Great name. It, yeah, yeah. It's very catchy. We're, we just started up again, so hopefully we'll have some shows soon. But uh, Middle-aged quake now. <laughs> Middle-aged quake, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I forgot to say something. I edited myself. I believe in editing myself. So does my wife. But um, I, anyway, I, during that time too, we started working a lot with the community in various ways. And uh, my brothers and I started the Salt Lake City Film Festival. And so we got to know a lot of folks um, throughout the arts community in Salt Lake. And um, one, of my, one of the folks that I met during that time um, reached out and asked if I wanted to work doing the um, Twilight Concert Series as the artist liaison. So I'd work with directly with the artists and make sure that they fulfilled their contracts and that, and then that we made, you know, made sure that, that we, you know, fulfilled our end of everything. And um, I'm going to keep my hand off the table because it's textured and I just keep it. I just want to touch it. All of those, all those noises are going to be in. So, oh, okay. You know, okay. People <laughs> listening will just... Yeah. <laughs> it's just my... It's just my... It's the fabric of my clothes. I wear really starched clothing. Um, anyway, so I, I was like, yeah, I'll do that job. I'll do that. that sounds like a lot of fun. It was crazy. It was insane. Because... Um, it, so basically, it was like three days on, the rest of the week off. But it was like 24... 24-3, not 24-7. But um, where I'd, I'd essentially... Get the artist. Well, I prep for everything for the artist to come. Then I get the artist, spend the day and half of the next day with them, get them to the airport, and then sleep. Um, it, it opened my eyes to um, how crazy 
<laughs> how crazy it is to to be a rock star <laughs> because I remember like that that summer I, I got to like work with like Nas and and like Common and a few other folks that were just like really big but like like story just like the stuff that would <laughs> the stuff that would happen just in three days was like oh my gosh this is so self-destructive <laughs> like I like um, what <laughs> well, they said a lot of swear words, Gonzo, and uh, I thought that was very destructive. I can do, yeah, that. I mean, I'm sure no, I'm it kidding. was hurting everybody's ears. No, no, no. <laughs> no it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. But I remember one time, dry, and, and like this is just like pure like ignorance at my age at the time, but like I was driving a commons uh, a, a tour manager and his backing band back to their hotel after their show. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I smell smoke, and and I'm, and I'm, it's not in my own car. It was like it was a company car. Um, it was actually a car for a municipality. I won't name the municipality just to, <laughs> just because how crazy this was. But all of a sudden, I smell marijuana, and I'm like, huh? And I look back. And they're all just smoking weed in the car while I'm driving. They're hotboxing. Yes, hotboxing <laughs> in the car and laughing, just asking if I want something. I'm like, huh, I'm okay. <laughs> and I'm driving. I'm just like, thank goodness I'm driving. I can't get in trouble. And in my and like now, like just years later, just thinking about like, I like. I drove people around like they were the windows weren't even tinted. Like and I'm driving through downtown while people were hotboxing the car, and like it was yeah it was crazy. But but during that time, so and was, luckily you were holding your breath the whole drive. Absolutely, yeah. I did. I did yes. No, no, I did not Pull breathe in the devil's weed. You did, you did not inhale. I, no, I didn't want any jazz cigarettes. Thank you very much. But uh, no, it was everyone was calm and relaxed, and it was a great ride. No, it was it was crazy, but, but and I'm sure those guys had like back problem and anxiety. And I did. I, I, I got. Like... I made sure that they. I, I saw their medical cards. I pulled over. And said, I need to see your medical use cards, and uh, I inspected them with a flashlight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but like, and can I see another form of ID yeah. to check to make sure that double ID? The right person mm-hmm. I had a good character reference too, <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh, great character references. No, but during that time, though, I was done at Pioneer Park. And this is where, like, kind of like my, I feel like this is where my life really took off. Um, is I started to notice that there were a lot of uh, homeless people hanging out around the park. And I started to get to know a couple of them because I'd hang out around the park for like three days, pretty much all day. And I got to know uh, a, a couple of folks that would hang out down there and get, you know, got friendly with them, would talk with them. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of times where I'd take them out to lunch and just, just get to know them better. And I learned about the Road Home, which is a shelter service and that focuses on housing. And I just, the idea of it just really, I thought was really quite awesome. So I, I noticed that they were hiring. Um, so I applied and I ended up getting a job with the Road Home and I ended up working with them for almost a decade um, in homeless services. And, uh, and that, that, that whole course, you know, that, that, that whole pathway changed every, like completely like, changed my life and in some of the best ways and some very difficult ways too. But the best ways, like starting there, like I met my wife through, through that. I mean, she wasn't a homeless person, um, but she was a, a case manager 
um, that I worked with and we ended up getting married and we're still married and have a couple of kids and, uh, and she's awesome. And, uh, but yeah, I met her, we were in family housing. That's where I started working with families who were homeless and helping them get into housing. And then once they were in housing, helping them manage what it means to be housed. A lot of folks were homeless. I mean, in homelessness, I mean, we could talk for days about homelessness and just how complex it is and what, what homelessness actually like look, looks like and, and uh, you know, what, what causes it. And the solu- well, the solution is actually quite simple. <laughs> it's just housing, it just gives someone a house and they're no longer homeless. And it's funny because whenever I say that, whenever people ask me, like, "Hey, what do you think is is the 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 the, um, the you know how do you solve homelessness?" I'm like, dude, this is the only problem that has the answer in the, in the, in the, the name? name of the problem. They're homeless. Give them a home, and you've solved the problem. But it's like, oh, well, you can't give people things. <laughs> like, we can't give people a home. That but, costs money. I know. Well, and and I know, and I I have, to, I have to be careful here because I can get very cynical here. And I, I try, I try my hardest to stay, uh, to to stay constructive to, to in, in this in, in in this regard because there are ways that we can end homelessness, and, but it can become so easy to become so cynical about why it happens and what we're not doing that we're now you know it becomes a very counterproductive. Yeah, I mean. And I know a little bit about the road home. What I know is that it's like 90-something percent of the people that go through the road home, like, never come back. So it's like... It, it, so housing... So they're, they're, the road home has practiced something, and, and it's not just the road home, but a lot of homeless service providers in our state. And, and uh, it, not so much right now, just the way with the politics of housing are right now, but... but like around 2012 to 2015, I'd say it was like the golden years of this approach called housing first, where the idea, and I think this is the best way to approach homelessness, is rather than, well, to understand that, I think you, you first need to understand how we traditionally in this country have, have approached homelessness. And that is like a meritocracy where you have to prove your merit to get into home, to get into housing, like got to get a job first, got to stop using drugs, and then we'll give you housing. But that is the worst way to approach homelessness and ending it. The best way is let's get you a house and a case manager, and then we're going to work on getting you a job, and we're going to work on getting you some meds. We're going to work on um, on your if there's any addiction disorders going on, we're going to work on that. That's going to fall under mental health because that's what it is. Um, but if you're homeless, it's really hard to get a job. It's like you yes. you go somewhere like here's an application and then you put in like your address you put a nun and yeah. you know it's like people are gonna be like oh maybe I absolutely. won't hire this guy you know no you're you're absolutely right and you, uh, I, I love that you point that out you, you you think of it like that because you're you're exactly right because when people always say well why don't they just get a job like have you ever put you know twenty ten Grand uh, Rio Grand Street is your address that's where the shelter yeah, once was yeah. before it got torn down but it doesn't come back you know if if you put if you put an address that's a known shelter, the likelihood of you getting a job is, isn't is high. And then another thing to consider is this. A lot of people who are homeless have jobs. They just don't pay much money. And that's a growing problem. I mean, the cost of housing is becoming so astronomically high, and especially in Salt Lake. 
the the availability of like rental units too that's going down because the, the there's such a push on um, creating um, uh, home ownership instead of rental space and home home ownership is great but not everybody needs that some folks need a rent and the problem is that it's it's you can make so much money now selling your property as a home or you know even a condo mm -hmm. um that you know you can uh, it just is it's almost just more profitable to do that than to do property management and rent out a place and so i mean you have a concentration of people who are experiencing homelessness in the city center but there's no housing available and the narrative that keeps getting pushed is, you know, we have a housing crisis. Yes, we've, we've had one for a while. I think as long as there's homelessness, there's a housing crisis. But the way we've kind of changed that narrative is the housing crisis is like for the middle class. It's like, oh, now not enough people can own homes. It's like, yeah, but we can rent homes and it sucks, but at least we're not homeless. Let's focus on, let's focus the housing crisis on the people that actually are in crisis, the people who are homeless. Um, sorry, I can derail and kind of go off a little bit on this, but um, I'm trying to bring it back. Right, where? but you're saying like, so, okay, so working with a road home kind oh, of yeah. changed your life. It kind of changed your trajectory. Absolutely, like you met yeah. your wife. Mm -hmm. You got to learn about something that you're passionate about. Yes, like you get to learn about. This is a really a crisis because if you even every time you drive down there and you see like. We have like a little tent city in Salt Lake City of like people that are just living out on the street. Well, and so it, that became something important to you, right? Oh, absolutely. And and, and seeing that, so the tent, the, I mean, there, there's no mistaking it. If you go down through Salt Lake City, and just so you know, like I'm a city planner for Salt Lake City now. That's what I do now. And so like I see what's happening from that municipal level as well, understanding very well as to who's building what <laughs> and and why. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting because you do go downtown and you see you see all these homeless encampments and you get people saying, why is there so much homelessness in Salt Lake City? It, the answer is very clear. Um, I mean, a lot of it has to do with they tore down the shelter a couple of years ago. And it's actually turned... They tore it down and they had planned for four different shelters throughout the valley. Yeah, with not... So if you combine, if you combine them all together, there's... They're smaller. Than they're those. smaller and there's about... I can't remember them. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of like four or five hundred less beds than they, you actually need. So by design, you're putting people on, just, on the street. Just, mm -hmm. just by the actual design of the buildings themselves... The other big issue is that they've they broke them up and for some reason thought oh let's 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 um, do it it's by like gender spread them out like, spread yeah. them out and do it by gender because homeless people don't have relationships is the assumption yeah. it's like, that's well that's not true right. like there's not a homeless family yeah exactly there's only homeless men or homeless women that have yes. no relations yeah it doesn't yeah and, and it's 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 just so foolish is it is it like a symptom of the people making the decisions just are totally clueless. Of the dynamic of the homeless people of, the, of that population, I, I think that's that has a, a lot to do with it. There's, I don't think there's much effort done in researching what's actually happening in in the in the lives of people who are experiencing homelessness by people who the, who have the power to make those decisions. And also, I think there's a and and this is this is something I've been trying to wrap my head around for a long time. It's like kind of one of the deeper like philosophical questions um that has really just kind of plagued me over the years and that is 
that in our country we have an obsession with punishing people, um, we especially people who are poor. Uh, we 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 uh, see you know wealth as righteousness. So if you're not wealthy, then you're not righteous. It's Protestant ethics. Yes, exactly. Did you go into sociology? No, I've just read a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a classic book. That's a big smile. It makes sense. I love that book. And it was a creepy smile. I was like, mm-hmm. did you say Protestant ethics? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a spirit of capitalism and the Protestant ethic. Yeah. Um, uh, Max Weber. And he, I, I think that's a very, like, uh, I think it's... It still has trickled through our American culture. Mm-hmm. We have the still... the an underwriting theme of Protestant ethics. Oh, totally. We, as a culture, see the rich as righteous. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and so then the, the opposite is if you're not rich... If you're poor, then you're wicked. Yes, that, there, that there's... And so then, if, so then if, if you are poor, then you deserve homelessness. This is your punishment. And that's, and now I'm, that's not what they're saying explicitly... But it's not too far off from what they're saying in a lot of like uh, in a lot of city codes that prevent things from being built. Um, the way they spell it out in, in the language in, in, in city code is essentially it's just a, a few verbs shy of saying you're you're being punished because you're poor. Um, but uh, anyway, I don't want to spiral into into some you know depressing territory there but it's that's something that has really driven me and um so when i was i was in homeless services i i um i started working in in another field within homeless services um we're not a field but a, a different uh, team it was the pathways team and uh, we worked specifically with chronically homeless individuals so people who were people that you you see who are you know i uh, you know maybe have addiction disorders and are schizophrenic and there's kind of that that co-disorder happening where they're using to stop the noises in their head or, or or so on and so forth where it's it's a very it's a very vicious cycle of trying to self-medicate and so the the, the objective was to get those folks housed into housing that is suitable for people with with higher needs many years doing that and uh, I it got to the point where I got had the opportunity to run this this um, place called the Wendell Apartments, and the Wendell Apartments it was an old barber shop down by West High School, and uh, it was attached to this old apartment complex that the Road Home was able to buy based off of funds that they collected one year from their their radio um, uh, fundraiser, and uh, so we ended up buying it, and I was going to run the case management there. It was. Uh, 32 units. They're all um, studio units, so it was all single individuals. And what we had designed it for were folks who had backgrounds that were so difficult to get into housing, to get into you know most apartment complexes. Since we owned this apartment complex, we were able to be a lot more relaxed on people's background and just get them in there into housing. But we found a lot of the folks were, a lot of the times they were just older men um, who had lived very rough lives, but were still alive and wanted to get their lives in order. And we found it to be a good place for them to do that safely. And then if they, if they felt it appropriate, you know, then from there, find a a more suitable place, a better place where they could live. And, 
but so they the goal was they'd move there we teach them skills um, to, to be able to move forward um, or if they didn't want that to maintain where they were and be healthy and 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 happy and I um, I, I think I think up to that point in, in, in that in my career in homeless services I thought yeah I could do this I, I, I could take this project on and and uh, do it very well because so I was doing really good um, with the work I was doing before then and I underestimated that a lot because these folks were really like it's not that they were rough and, and hard to, to get along with I got along with them great and like I like they, they all had places in my heart but the hard thing was is these were also people who like I said had very rough lives and because of that their health was not the best and it got to the point where you know I'd get I'd get really close with these with these people with with these clients of mine and it was close quarters I mean my office was on the first floor they were on you know on the the, the three floors above it and uh it all almost all of them would come down and say hi because my office was open I ran a food pantry out of it as well so they'd come down grab some food and just chat and hang out for a minute and uh really great folks who lived there and um but it's it got to the point where you know I mean the fact of life is you die and I, I've had clients die before um in homeless services but this place was different because I, I worked there alone and I'd find them dead and and uh, that was a whole other that was a whole other experience um, where I'd, I'd you know at first it was it was so terrible seeing somebody that you got to connect with you know just dead in their apartment and uh, sometimes it would be in very awful circumstances in which they died. And sometimes, I mean, some clients were very paranoid and they didn't want people to talk to them. So with those clients, like we had a deal where I'd come and visit, I'd have to visit with them um, once a month. And it wasn't me like saying, I have to visit with them. It was me pleading with them, like, let me come once a month. That's the deal. You have to let me see you once a month. And they would agree to that. And there was one guy who had died and uh, it had been almost a month. And then I found him, and and it was in, it was in the middle of the summer, and he it was it was bad, but um, it got it got it got so heavy because um, I get to know these folks, and uh, just finding them like that was it, it was it was eating me up, and I didn't realize it until there was this one guy named Mark. And he was great, and he had this rough voice, and he sounded like this constantly. But uh, he, he had a very short-term memory because he had a lot of head injuries. And but he always sounded like he was going to say something terrible about you. Like he'd be like, if he was talking about Steve, he'd be like, you know that Steve, and then he'd think he was going to say something really <laughs> terrible about you, and he'd go, well, you know, he's a real nice guy. And then he'd think, <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> and he does. Yeah. So yeah, so Mark, he had these these uh, these lapses in memory, and after working with him for about you know a couple of years, I got to put his life together through these little bits of storytelling that he'd say because it would be like it would be like this, it'd be like, "Hey Nick, how's the weather today? You know, I once got hit by a car. Say, you have any beans?" <laughs> I'd be like, "What? <laughs> huh?" 
would be that. It would just be that, like constant every day. But it always be, he, he's he was like clockwork. He just and he, he kind of looked like Daniel Day Lewis. It was, it was great. And he just he he and he, he actually at one point he used to be a a, a, um, a minor league baseball player. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh, uh, so he, there's one point. Where, well, so he used to come down into my office every morning because, like I said, I used to run a, a food pantry out of it as well. And he would come down every morning. He'd be like, "Hey, Nick." You're running the food pantry. I'm like, yeah, Mark, you need anything? Nah, have a good day. And then he'd leave. <laughs> and he'd never, he'd never take anything. But it was always the same thing. And uh, um, it was always just that same thing. And then I... I you never take food, and you'd always every day. It was it was just habit. You had habits, and every and that's that was that's that's what made the place so endearing and difficult. Was that everybody there had these quirks and habits that became part of my day, like every day. And Mark, in particular, when he'd come down, he'd bust the door open. Right when I'd get there, I, I swear he'd just sit out of like looking out his window and he'd be like, "There's Nick," and then he'd hustle down. And, <laughs> like, right when I'd open the office door. And anyway, he'd bust in and just, and yeah, I'd just say, hey, Nick, you're running the food pantry today. Yeah, Mark, you need anything? No, have a good day. And then he'd leave. And uh, he would say, <laughs> he would do that all the time. Sometimes sometimes he'd come in and he'd tell me about his his relationships with people and how <laughs> one time he came in and he, he talked about, uh, I'm feeling a little upset because, well, I asked my ex for some money and she got mad at me. I'm like, well, <laughs> let's let's review what you just said. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, um, but one day, so I so Mark was kind of like this bright, like he, he was like this this bright gray of, of sunshine in 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 this place that could be very heavy often, and it was getting to this point where I had multiple people die within the space of a few months, and there was one person. Who had passed away who i had taught how to use naloxone which is something that you use if you overdose on on heroin or opioids and um so i i, I showed him how to how to load up an, a, a naloxone needle and how to inject it um, should he ever need it and i got him all the supplies he needed and i remember uh, when uh, just this guy coming to, into my office was one of his friends just saying you i, I don't he said you, you need to come see this particular person. It wasn't Mark. It was this other person. I won't use his name. But uh, so I, I ran in and he had, he was just, he was, and I, I'm sorry, I don't want to be too graphic. And I hope this isn't triggering for anybody, but he had a needle in his arm and uh, he, he was dead. But what really affected me was that his naloxone needle was on his nightstand and the way his body was, you could see that he was reaching for it. And so it began to haunt me. Like, did I teach him well enough? To, what did I teach him? Did I teach him how to use that? And, and so it was, it, it began to torture myself. These thoughts of like, did I say the right things? And I began to replay the, you know, my last interaction with him because my last interaction with him was on how to use naloxone. And I didn't realize how much of my mind that was occupying. And my wife, Amy, she, she knew what was going on. And she was just like, I think you need to talk to somebody. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're not yourself. And I had been isolating. I had been not talking to people and I had not been playing music. I had not been listening to music. I had not been doing the things that brought me joy. I'd been closing myself off to my wife. Um, and 
people that, that I love. And then uh, one day, uh, my, my, you know, that, that client of mine, Mark, he came into the office and he just seemed a little more down than usual. And as you know, he did his usual thing, got any food? No. Okay. We'll have a good day. And I asked him, I said, Mark, you doing all right? And he said, yeah, I'm going to go hang out there. And that was his buddy who lived in the building and they, they like to talk about their heritage. It was really funny. <laughs> I wish I could have recorded their conversations because it was great. But anyway, so I'm like, okay, that's, that's probably a good positive thing for you to go do right now. And, um, and then I, I packed up and I went home and I went out with my wife that night to go see a movie. And I got a call in the middle of the movie. And uh, so I checked on Mark before I left and he was, he was up with his buddy hanging out and I thought, okay, this is good. So then I got a call on the movie and it was, um, it was uh, the property manager saying, Hey, Mark fell asleep while he was with his buddy and, and he never woke up. And I, and that crushed me. And I just like, I just walked out of the movie, just sobbing and and then I was like, yeah, I got to go talk to somebody. So I, I decided, um, and I wish I would have done this a lot earlier. So I, I, I the next, the, the next day I, I got on the phone with, um, to, to, to go talk to, I guess, a, you know, a, a psychiatrist or a counselor. And, um, and I thought this, I don't even know what to say. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't I even ask for this. I maybe I, maybe I don't even need this. And I start talking just to the, to the secretary um, or the, for the person running the front desk saying, you know, I, I need to schedule this appointment. I've been, and I started listing all these things that I've been going through, listing all these things that I've been going through. And as I started saying that out loud to this person, I realized like my phone was wet <laughs> and I realized I was like, I was like, it was the weirdest thing. I was like sobbing, but I wasn't crying. Like in my mind, I, I become so detached from my emotions. I think I've been shutting them off as, as a mechanism to protect myself from feeling really hard feelings or things I didn't fully understand. Um, there's one incident at this place where it was a very violent incident and um, there's somebody who was stabbed a bunch in day. He, he ended up living, but I think after that, I, I, I think I became a little dissociative because I was blocking that imagery out of my mind because I, I found him and helped him out. And, um, I, and so I, I realized in that call, just setting up an appointment that I had, that was that kind of the first realization, like, oh my gosh, I have dissociated my mind from my heart. Like I am not allowing my brain to process what my heart is feeling. And uh, so even just like calling was like the beginning part of therapy. And then I, so I went in, they got me in that week and I went in and I talked with the, the, the counselor and even in the meeting, she's like, do you realize that you're, you're shaking? And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm shaking. And I, apparently I was shaking, like shaking. And she's like, no, oh, this isn't good. And, uh, I, and she called the, my employer and um, the next day I didn't go to work and I, I, had, I had to stay home for like three months. Um, and the road home, they were great. They, they was full pay, but it was on his medical leave because I got diagnosed with the PTSD. And, I, um, and then I had to do like some like really intense therapy during that time and a little bit after. And that was so good. Like, like, and I just say like anyone who doubts therapy 
or is questioning like maybe should I do therapy? Do it. And I know there's a lot of like stereotyping too. And, and, and I think it'll, you know, kind of cultural to like in the United States with, you know, especially with men, they look down on something. It's not masculine. It's not manly to talk to somebody about what you're feeling. But like, that is, that's just bullshit. Like you talk to someone about what you're feeling. You're like, that is the manliest thing you can do is, is take care of yourself and your family and the people you love by getting help. And uh, um, so, yeah, if you're struggling with that, talk to someone like it's the best thing you can do for yourself. And uh, but during that time, I really got an opportunity to to, um, to reconnect with myself and and connect with the things that matter to me and evaluate like, hey, maybe this I can't keep doing this. But this is something I care about. How do I how and by this? I mean, working in homeless services, how can I be effective in this? This is this is this is the battle I'm choosing for my life. I'm, I I want to end homelessness. I think it's something that can be done, and uh, I so I just I was thinking to myself, how can I fight this on a different front? On um, you know what what battlefield can I go to? And uh, it reminded me of of something I learned a lot about. And so when I was studying sociology, I was city planning, like our built environment, our how we design our cities and our policies. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to grad school. And so I, I during that time, I applied to the U to go to um, grad school to study city and metropolitan planning. And, um, and, I, and I was accepted in and I, I went there and uh, studied planning and focused in on, on uh, housing, affordable housing. And um, I, I wrote a lot about um, the aging population and how they're, they're uh, disproportionately pushed out of housing because they're on fixed income and there's actually a growing population of uh, folks who are homeless that are uh, who fall under the aging population of you know, 55 and older, which is, I mean, it's never safe to be homeless, but it's incredibly unsafe to be homeless for the first time when you're in your, you know, when you're in your senior years because you've done everything that you've understood to be right to stay in housing and all of a sudden your fixed income no longer allows you to have housing and you're homeless and it's the most there's so many there's so many things that make it difficult at that point um like applying for housing on a computer using the internet things that like you know a younger demographic like oh that's simple but not if you know if if you're part of that aging population maybe you don't know how to log into a computer Or maybe you don't want to have to ask somebody about that because you've done everything that you're supposed to do your whole life and now you're being treated. So there's a lot of things that make it so it's so much more difficult to to get housed again when you've reached that point in your life. And it's such an easy thing to fix. Anyway, so I studied that very much. And then I, I got into planning. And I ended up working out in Harriman for a while, which was like a... And, and, and no knocks to Harriman. I was I planned that city for a little while, and I, I I love Harriman, but it was interesting going from the road home to Harriman, working with people who are homeless, to people who who I'm not sure if some of them had even like witnessed homelessness. But I remember sitting in one meeting with a city council member, and it was my last meeting with one of my last meetings when I while working for that city, where it was they were talking about putting in a bus stop. And the city council member said, 
well, this will bring more homeless people into our into our city. And I had to bite my tongue because all I wanted to say to her was, no homeless person would even want to come to your city. <laughs> like, like what? you're crazy. And this is what happens at the city level everywhere. Is And this is where you can make a difference at the, the design level is, is you have uh, um, city government who has a lot of say over how the city functions and how the city flows and who can be in what places at what time doing these things. And y- y- there are so many things you can point out in city code. You can say this is clearly by design to make it so certain people can't buy a house in this neighborhood and they do it by the size of the lot or they'll they'll do it by um, by making it so you can't walk anywhere to get food or you you can't uh, you, you know you have to own a car to to even live here or you can't have a car that you're working on in your driveway because god forbid somebody sees a car that's not working you know and it's like well who has those problems most people have those problems but some very specific populations also have those problems too and they, their problems can easily be solved if they have space to solve those problems. But they make basically they make it so you can't solve those problems while you're at your home. Anyway, that's I'm like going down a rabbit hole here. But I anyway, so I ended up leaving Harriman, and this was a little bit out, I, right when the first rounds of um, vaccine came out with uh, for um, COVID. And uh, during that time, I, was, I got very concerned about the homeless population. A lot of the friends that I've made uh, over the years because of COVID, I'd, I'd wake up early and walk downtown, downtown Salt Lake at like six in the morning to see if I could see any of the um, folks that I know, that I know, you know, if, and if I could see them, then I could give them some supplies <coughs> or something to help them, help them out. And then I was like, you know what, I, I want to get back into this in another way. So I, I got a job with United Way as their state outreach uh, coordinator for their 211 program and did some work for a while there helping people. Basically what we did was we'd, we'd go and find community resources in every community in the state, compile them into a database. So no matter who you are or what you're going through, you could dial 211 and get help, whether it's 24 seven and you always talk to a human being if you dial 211, uh, you know, whether you're, you're trying to get out of an abusive situation or find rental assistance, or um, if you're trying to find out what schools are in your neighborhood, if you're new, it's everything under the sun. And um, so I was doing that for a while, but then I, I got back into the idea of planning and uh, cause I started seeing very specifically in Salt Lake things that I was interested in, in working on and changing. And a lot of that had to do with how we were uh, treating homeless people in Salt Lake. We shut down the shelter and we talked about already and uh, but I thought you know that's something we can do we can we can work out at a policy level and even at a staff level as a planner so I got a job as a planner for Salt Lake I mean that's that's not all I do how long have you been doing that now oh it's all like just a few months now so I'm, I'm finding ways that I can be influential and to change some of those ideas and policies from a design perspective I'm finding some some really interesting ways to do it already, so it's it's fun. <laughs> what can we do? What can we do to help? Uh, like with homelessness? Yeah, I think anything, anything, anything that 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 you feel comfortable doing is good. Um, I think um, I think like uh, 
getting, I don't know, it's, there's a lot of different ways to approach. I think one really, like a really good, meaningful way to approach homelessness in like your city and where you actually are is whenever there's be civically active. So when your city has, you know, a, a public hearing about something that would benefit homelessness or people experiencing homelessness. For example, several years back in Draper, they were toying with the idea of opening a shelter. And um, actually somebody who was experiencing homelessness went to give their public comment on how that would help them to, to have a shelter there. And they actually got booed off the stage. Really? Yeah, it was very sad. But to go to those meetings and support the idea to do, to, I mean, this is asking a lot, but if you got up in those public meetings and say, hey, you know what, I think it's the right thing to do to provide a safe place for people experiencing homelessness in our city, that, I mean, that's, it may not change things immediately, but it begins to change people's minds in the neighborhood. Maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way. Maybe homelessness doesn't equal crime because that's how it's right. sold. It's, it's a, they, we've, they've been criminalized. Mm -hmm. So if you take that element out by speaking on their behalf at these public meetings, you're able to really put homelessness, the, the idea of homelessness in a new light. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing would be like, I, um, you know, I know a lot of folks donate um, food, time, uh, you know, donating time, working at shelters. Um, I think just one thing that you can really do too, just in your day to day, if someone asks you for money, you don't have to give them money. That's fine. It's your choice, but don't pretend they don't exist. You know, acknowledge their existence. That goes a long way. I mean, because they have feelings too. And when, you know, you just keep walking, give them the cold shoulder, it's that hurts. And uh, I'm just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have anything right now, but I hope you have a good day. That, that can go a long ways too. It helps people remember like, yes, I am human. I do matter. I mean, I, I, I mean, it would feel awful like if somebody did that to you, you, you know, you were saying hello, 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 and people just, you know, walked by. That'd be yeah, pretty terrible. And that's something that everyone can do. Yeah. Like, just it's like a very simple, doesn't take much effort, but can actually make a difference to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I mean, it comes down to this, just like, and I mean, I don't know. Sometimes the simplest things are always the answer. It, it just seems sometimes too good to too good to be true that something simple can be the answer. But really, I think if we were more kind, not just to other people, but also to ourselves, and I think I think, and I don't want to sound all kumbaya here, but like I think the world would really become a better place really quick if, if we actually practice kindness more actively and just treated people the way we would want to be treated, acknowledge people, acknowledge that they are experiencing struggles that I, that you're not experiencing. And instead of judging them for those, you know, those experiences, maybe have some compassion. If you see somebody walking down the street and they don't have shoes on and they ask for, you know, money, if you have a minute, maybe you could say, hey, do you, I see you're not wearing shoes. Can You need some help. I mean, not saying you need to go buy somebody's shoes, but if you can, that would be really cool. Or, I mean, it's anything, anything that you could do to just be nice. Just be nice. Be kind to people. I mean, we're, I think in the last few years, we've, we've just become so cynical. We've become so quick to judge people and so harsh to people. I mean, really, we've become 
harsh to people. Sometimes. But what if we disagree? <laughs> Do we have to be nice to someone I disagree? You know, I'm done talking with you, Steve. <laughs> Can you leave? You know, this is turned into a really yeah. toxic conversation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some things to type about you <laughs> into social media. dot com. <laughs> Whatever that is. But no, no. But really, it's like. Yeah. It's like being able to to really just engage with each other and 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 be kind to each other. Like we don't have to focus entirely on on our differences. Like we can focus on the things that bring us together, and that might even include common struggles. So I don't know. I think finding those ways to connect as as humans, it's very it's it's not just important. It's it's necessary. I think as a species to survive. Um, I, I want to like you know. So crazy here. besides um, going into everyone's heart and and uh, <laughs> playing around with it and uh, injecting <laughs> empathy for their fellow men, how would you, um, if you had like magic wand or whatever, you could do something to help homeless the, the homelessness struggle? And it, yeah, say especially in Salt Lake City, or sure, especially in Utah. I would say um, I would make it. I would make it illegal for homelessness to happen. And by that, I mean, it would be against the law to allow a person to become homeless. That people cannot. And actually, I don't even want to use law. Let me, let me go back. Yeah, because that's. I don't want to use like, more punishment. Let's, exactly. Let's you make the homeless people yeah. criminals if you do. I, yeah. I want, to, I want to remove the idea of punishment. And what I would, what I would, if I could have it my way, I would do this. I would just say. Empty out the key bank building downtown. <laughs> All those people work from home now well, and retrofit that into one giant shelter. Well, no, I know. I, I think shelters should end at, at some point and let's just house people. That's my goal is, is let's get one giant free housing house. building. No, let's not even make it a building. Everybody should be able to live where they, they choose. Like this, if this is again, if we're going, okay, this yeah, is go, just go, not go. my dream. Everybody should have the ability to choose where they live. That's empowerment. When you have, so that, that's, that is the essence of empowerment is choice. The essence of like slavery is having choice removed from you and being forced. So when you're forced to to live somewhere you don't want to live based off of how you are presenting, that's not a good thing. But that's what we currently do. We tell people they are only good enough for this. And you don't have a choice over that. And when the city gets tired of you being there, we're going to herd you over here. What I would say is give people the power of choosing. That's empowerment. You want to choose to live in Sandy? Move to Sandy. You want to choose to live in in Midvale? Move to Midvale. You want to choose to live in Salt Lake? Live in Salt Lake. We'll give you a house. I, it's it's insane how much it costs to run a shelter compared to how much it costs to give somebody a housing voucher. It's so much more inexpensive to house somebody than to than to operate a shelter significantly. And there's data behind that. It's not just like, I think it's that way. It's like, that's just how it is. And that kind of goes back to this idea that that Protestant ethic where we have to live up to this ideal of, well, they, they get out earn. Yes. But we need to drop that. We need to drop that and just say, it's okay. Like that's, that's not the only metric in our existence that determines whether or not a person's a great person. Some of the best people I've met in my life have been homeless. And that's, I think that, that probably is what makes my heart hurt the most is I think of if we're looking at terms of who deserves what, I think some of these folks who I've met who are some of the kindest, sweetest, most like wonderful people should be housed. It's just based off that alone. But we shouldn't even have to based off that. We just you're a human and we're a very wealthy country. Let's just house you. 
The most wealthy. The most wealthy. <laughs> the most. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just, what's the point? What's it, We're spending so much more time keeping people homeless than we, <laughs> like, it, it, it requires effort to continue this. I mean, just looking at it purely like that, to continue homelessness, it requires effort on the part of people who have power to make change. It, like, it, would, it would require so much less effort to say, yeah, let's just get homes for people and let them have their home. And we'll, you know, change our laws a little bit on how, on how evictions work and how things like that work so we can give people more opportunities to try again. Uh, and keep trying and learn because the current system we have now clearly isn't working. Um, if you evict somebody and you think, oh, they'll learn now, but then you also say, but we're going to make it so you can't rent any more places because of your eviction. You know, it's it's, it's such a such bizarre messaging there. It makes it really makes no sense when you when you kind of break it down. Um, yeah, that's a uh, that's my very... no. Thank you for sharing that and. I mean, I think about it a lot. I mean, I I work in Salt Lake, and you, know, you see lots of homeless people, and you think, I mean, Utah is such a harsh place to be homeless. You know, yeah. it's so hot in the summer. It's so cold in the winter. It's cruel. It's it a is. cruel place to be to be out without without a shelter. That's one of our one of the basic human needs is yeah. shelter. Shelter. You need you need a roof over your head. You need food to eat. You need a, a place to stabilize at the end of the day. We all need to come home and stabilize. And that's that's what we do. And that's this it's just a necessity to to have that. I was I was downtown just the other day actually and there's this person I I, I used to uh, a former client of mine he's, he used to live in Chicago now he lives here and he's 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 probably in his 60s now. Um, but I housed him back in 2013, and he's been housed since. Um, but he loves to just walk around downtown. Uh, he's he's retired, and he's still in housing. But like, he's housed, and he, I mean, even when you're in housing, you're still paying rent. Uh, but he loves to walk around, and um, I hadn't seen him for years. And this this has always happened because he's he had some health issues as well. And I could go, you know, I go maybe a year or two without seeing him, and I get worried, like, oh no. He hasn't passed away because this guy, I love, I love this guy. He just brightens up my day, and he brightens up everyone's day when you come in contact with him. And um, I had last time I saw him, I took him to lunch right before COVID. Uh, you know, he was just talking about he was he's kind of a character, and he was just talking about all the, the funny things about his landlord. And then he disappeared, and I, I was scared. I thought maybe he passed away, COVID, all these things. And just just on Friday, I'm walking downtown back to my office after grabbing some lunch. And I look to my right, and there he is, just walking next to me. And we're just in the middle of the road. And he's, he's, he didn't notice me. And he, he was just in his own thoughts, I could tell. And I looked over, and I just, I had to stop myself from just crying because I was so happy. And I right, right, made sure that we got to the, to the sidewalk so we weren't unsafe, you know, being in the middle of the road. <laughs> but, uh, but we got to the sidewalk, and I said, Ray, you turn around, and he just starts laughing, and uh, and, uh, and he just looks at me and says, you thought I was dead again? I said, yeah, I did. I didn't think you were dead. And uh, anyway, I gave him a big hug, and, and um, uh, it's just such a good feeling. And it just, that brings me hope that, that we can do very 
hard things, things that we think are hard, like housing the homeless, we can do it and it, and it works. And that goes for anything else, uh, not just housing, but like, uh, you know, ending, ending HIV, you know, ending a lot of things that are, that, that, that we, we have the power to end, but we just, we need some support at different levels to do it. Yeah. Well, Hamza's working on that vaccine. All right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's working to cure HIV. Awesome. Good, good work, Hamza. <laughs> I'll send you my notes. <laughs> I, have, I have. You were working ideas. some chemistry at home. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't see that. <laughs> So, yeah, what yeah, like you said something like you know like, he's always brilliant. So that makes at least yeah. it's Hamza like doing it like because if you if if, if imagine if we were Hamza saying you know Nick Whitaker is, is coming up with uh, <laughs> a way to end HIV, everyone's like, mm, have you checked his notes? Double <laughs> check all that. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll do that. But yeah, don't yeah when it comes to your body, please don't. <laughs> you don't want to trust me. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's the end of part one. Tune in next week and we'll give you part two. Thanks, guys. Thanks.